Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about stuff. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And today I'm going to do a story that I find interesting and it's probably not technically topical for our podcast, but it turns out it's topical for current events Oh! because the country in which it takes place is currently on fire mm-hmm. intentionally because of the president of that country. Yay. Yay. We're talking no. about Brazil. <laughs> Woohoo. Here we go. Where did, where did the empire of Brazil go? Oh, I don't I didn't know it was ever an empire. Exactly. It's a <laughs> it's a very funny, no, funny as an unusual century in Brazilian history and uh, Uruguayan history as well. Uh, they were one Portuguese colony for quite a while. But we'll get into that. And the reason I am so interested in this particular facet of Brazilian history is it's mostly about like really messy family members uh, in the monarchy Hmm. which you know it's a monarchy of course they're messy but it ended up directly impacting major world powers at a time where a lot of other things were going on so nobody was really talking too much about Brazil so anyway and I got into this topic after reading about Elizabeth of Bavaria, who was the mother of a guy who killed himself and his mistress, and then after that, Archduke Franz Ferdinand became the Archduke, and then he got assassinated, and then World War I started. Right. And that was only because this guy committed suicide after killing his mistress. And Elizabeth of Bavaria was a very interesting woman. So, <laughs> I read Wikipedia a lot. <laughs> Wikipedia is awesome. Yeah. And for only $3 a month. <laughs> yeah. Support Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. So, the Empire of Brazil. Portuguese colonization of Brazil and Uruguay began around 1500, but it was really like solidified around 1534 when King John III of Portugal divided Brazil and what now constitutes Uruguay into 15 states which were similar to like the US colonies. Okay. They had, it, it had like different administrative definitions and was not a democracy. In 1549, they realized that was a really bad idea because Brazil is huge. And then when you add into that the square footage of Uruguay, that's a big space for 15 different groups of folks to be doing whatever they feel like doing. And it's also very geographically complex. So. 1549, it was named the Governorate General of Brazil, and it was ruled as a single colonial entity. I'm not entirely sure that that was more efficient, but it was considered as such. It eventually became a component of the United Kingdom of Brazil, Portugal, and the Algarves. I might have been mispronouncing that. I'm sorry if I did. Portugal, due to the Napoleonic Wars, had to move its capital from Lisbon, Portugal, to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Huh, Okay. I don't, I don't mean to lecture anybody about geography, but Portugal is part of Europe. Brazil is on a different continent. Yeah, that's tricky. There's a big old ocean in between these two places, and this was in 1807, so uh, there, were, there were no cell phones. 
<laughs> there was no email. Uh, so the European country was ruled from the South American colony slash state for 14 years, 1807 to 1821. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Well, and it was the Napoleonic Wars, so it was not the immediate priority of a lot of people recording history. That's why they got away with it for 14 years. The only people who liked this were the royals. (laughs) Brazil hated it as they weren't treated as the seat of a kingdom when they were paying for the king and the entire monarchy to be there. Wow. Portugal and Europe in general hated it because contact was difficult at best. And Mm -hmm. Portugal, while it's a geographically small country, has been a very, let's go with active, I don't want to say important, but active uh, European state in terms of international affairs. Yeah. So how did we get to an empire if it's a state part of the United Kingdom of Portugal? King Joao IV was forced to go back to Portugal as everybody hated him. (laughs) Wow. He, uh, He left his son Pedro to run the colony, and Pedro said, bye, Dad, and then declared Brazil an independent empire in 1822. Hey, cool. Thanks, Pedro. <laughs> so he became Pedro I. Portugal tried to retake the colony, but they were martially unsuccessful, and they only tried for two months. So Pedro became Pedro the first, empi- first emperor of Brazil. <laughs> Way to go, Pedro. He was a surprisingly reasonable ruler for a colonial Oh, that's not what I was expecting. I know, right? <laughs> you expect this to be like a true horror story. Right. And I'm I'm sure he did some messed up stuff because frankly, it's a ruler of a country as a monarch and right. monarchy is messy. But he was surprisingly reasonable. He set up a decent legislature. He was progressive for the time. He did an okay job. He did lose the territory that now makes up Uruguay to the United Provinces of Rio de la Plata via war, and that remains sort of a contentious relationship as long as the empire existed. Now, here's where he did an interesting thing. 1826, Pedro I's dad died, so Joao IV. Pedro I became king of Portugal. They never disinherited him, I guess, which is funny because he was not the only child of Joao IV. Anyway. I wonder what that familiar relationship was like. Pedro I immediately abdicated and set up his eldest daughter on the throne. Oh, okay. And then two years later, Pedro I's brother was like, what the hell? And took over the throne. In a, in a, he usurped his niece. Which, I mean, that's not entirely irrational just because the brother that stole <laughs> Brazil gets to be king of Portugal now? What the heck? <laughs> But maybe they thought it would uh, reintegrate Brazil into Portuguese purview. So in 1831, Pedro I abdicated as emperor of Brazil to leave for Portugal to try to reseat his daughter on the throne of Portugal. So he left his son, Pedro II, in charge. Pedro II was five years old. (laughs) That's old enough. (laughs) (laughs) he was five years old this is just like bad parenting decision after bad parenting decision it's just weird yeah so a regency was created 
So a group of people ruled in the stead of Pedro II until he was of age, and it, it was very disorganized and messy. And when Pedro II took the throne as an emperor, the empire had nearly collapsed. Mm-hmm. And he subsequently ruled for 58 years. Wow. He was a really decent ruler. He actually, like one of the last acts of his empire was to abolish slavery. Oh, Which really? was a, yeah, I, for real. Uh <laughs> not expecting any of this i know it's i think that's why i like this story so much is because there's so many bad decisions and so many good decisions <laughs> it's it's a it's an unusual story right there were several wars for better or for worse modern economic prosperity improved international relations increased rule by the people but he only had daughters that lived to adulthood, and he didn't encourage them to learn to rule. He didn't really think that women should run a country. But he had his daughter Isabel, Princess Imperial, run a regency in 1887 when he decided to go to Europe for medical treatment because he thought he was going to die. So he was just like, um, Bella, I know I didn't train you in this, and I don't believe women should run a country, <laughs> but you're going to run a country. You need to cut your vacation short with your husband and come back here, but you're in charge. I don't know why these men are so glib about crossing the Atlantic Ocean (laughs) in the 19th century. I just, it's my impression that that was a challenging (laughs) undertaking. So. And scary. Yeah. Yeah. Ships sink. A lot. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially if they know that the king is on it full of gold or whatever. Yeah. Did you know it's it's really common now for cargo ships to lose like cargo boxes over the edge? And there was a cargo box of Legos <gasps> that fell in the ocean near Scotland, like the Scottish coast. And so it's really common on a, a Scottish coastline and then probably also northern England for different uh, Legos to wash up on shore. <laughs> That's funny because when you said Pedro II became emperor at five, I was like, what did he rule that everybody, every, every day is Lego day? Or like <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> so she was given no notice. She was literally on vacation in Europe. And people told her via what? I don't know. Because telegrams weren't a thing. So it was a letter. Or a person with a letter. <laughs> a person with a letter and across her, the ocean for three months. Her only training had been a previous and super stressful regency where like, she and her husband were both bedridden for weeks and weeks. Like, it was not good. Uh, she ended up, well, ruling in her father's stead, pushing really hard for the abolition of slavery, and she succeeded in 1888. Good and she had her. the support of her father. Like It's not like it was a radical new tack. Mm-hmm. But that's what she did with her time. So after the abolition of slavery, and this is kind of where the empire went, the rich coffee planters who had previously depended on slavery for making most of their money. Sounds familiar. Yeah. And the military both agreed that they wanted to end the monarchy and have a republic or a dictatorial rule. Mm -hmm. They overthrew Pedro II in 1889, And he was really old and tired at this point, and his daughter Isabel had no interest in running the country either. So there wasn't really a lot of opposition from the monarchy. There was literally none. Mm -hmm. They just went back to Europe. They went to France. Uh, Peter II's wife 
Im- almost immediately died when they got to Europe. And then he and his daughter lived on very reduced means. He never encouraged a recreation of the monarchy in Brazil, but he loved Brazil and he wanted success for it up to his death. Like some of his last words were about how much he wanted good things for Brazil. Oh, that's so he nice. was like kind of an okay guy sometimes. Yeah. So that's the end of the Brazilian Empire. It became a republic. There was no bloodshed in 1889 when the republic was installed. It was a surprisingly calm coup d'etat. There was resistance after the republic was created and moderate skirmishes of monarchists versus republicans ensued, including from 1893 to 1895 a major civil war. And then there were some groups of state separatists that were essentially obliterated by the military. So, like, borderline genocide. I don't think it was technically ethnic motivations, which I think might be required for a genocide. I don't know. But there were a lot of people killed in, like, one Mm -hmm. tiny location. In 1902... For one day, there was an attempt to restore the monarchy. <laughs> so someone had traced the genealogy of the monarchy, and <laughs> you know, they had planned this. And then on 1902, they sprung their trap for 24 hours, and then they gave up. <laughs> and I don't really blame them, because if you think about it, who, who, it didn't make any sense. Like uh, The establishment of Brazil as a republic at that time had been solid enough that... I don't think anyone was going to undo that. Otherwise, Brazil has modified itself politically into a federal presidential constitutional republic, which mm-hmm. is a lot like the U.S. Yeah. And they've had the same constitution since 1988, which is fairly recent. So the empire became a republic, and the royal family was kind of like, yeah, that's fine. Wow. So, yeah, that's just a story that I really like, so I decided to do it. That is amazing. I didn't know any of that. I just had assumed that just like any monarchy that goes away, it's like bloody and horrible and tons of people die. It wasn't like that at all. And like the monarchy was actually okay. Yeah. Uh, there were, there were some deaths and I'm not, I don't, I don't mean to like say, Oh, nobody ever died, but it was for a coup d'etat removing a monarchy of a major European nation from a colony, it was comparatively very minor. Well, it's nothing like the removal of the um, family in Russia or oh no, 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 yeah. or the American Revolution yeah. or even the American Civil War. Right. Wow. Didn't even touch that in terms of casualties or vehemence of the violence. Wow. What are you covering today, Sarah? So I'm glad we're back in 1988. That's where that's where the Constitution, the, the Brazilian Constitution, right? 1988. Yep. So let's stay in 1988. Yeah. Um, we're we're in a journey back in time in 1988, but this time we're in New Jersey. Emily, me, and the two to two dozen people that listen to this that might be listening to this podcast right now are walking along the Jersey Shore. Not the Jersey Shore, the show, but the actual New Jersey Shore. I am so excited to be in New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you? (laughs) You, one of you, all of you, it doesn't matter. Maybe the most old and infirm of you is probably better. Decide to walk barefoot in the water. 
Then you notice you get pinched or poked by something, and you assume it's a seashell or a rock or a sea urchin or whatever other little animal might be up there. You look down into your hoarder. You notice it's a syringe. I am no longer excited to be in New Jersey <laughs> in 1988. <laughs> you look in horror along the water, realizing you've just been poked by a random syringe, hoping it was nobody with some horrible disease, and notice that the water is full of syringes, nasty bandages, and all manner of hospital horror show. Welcome to the syringe tide of 1988. Can we leave New Jersey? <laughs> yeah, let's, well, first we're all going to get tetanus shots. Yay! <laughs> and we're going to go back now <laughs> to our own times because we'll probably all survive better. You never know. Anyway, the syringe tide, which was when medical waste washed up on the shores of New Jersey and New York, enclosed beaches for miles, like it was 30 miles stretch of hospital medical waste garbage. It was oh really God. disgusting. I, I'm old enough to remember it because I was about 10 years old, and it was really horrifying. But if you weren't alive or you don't remember it, it was a huge deal, as it should be, and... It really, really uh, was, people were really, really mad about it. So that brought about the 1988 U.S. federal law of the Medical Waste Tracking Act, Tracking Act that was an amendment to the Solid Waste Disposal Act. It established penalties for the illegal dumping of medical and bodily waste and was designed to try to establish a way to identify medical waste from its source and where it goes to be disposed. So they wanted a way to be able to track medical waste and kind of figure out how contagious or contaminated it is from cradle to grave. It also allowed the EPA the ability to go into any medical waste disposal facility and conduct monitoring. So the EPA could walk in and be like, I want to make sure that you're disposing of this correctly. The uh, MWTA has expired, but after it, and it was really kind of a short term. The government kind of wanted to um, do a short term trying to figure out if it was a good thing to do. And after it concluded, they found that the medical waste is most hazardous at its point of generation and tapers off after that point. So hopefully because the syringe that just poked you in the in the foot you only just need a tetanus shot and you don't have to worry about anything else because it's been in the seawater however even though it has expired individual states ha uh, have their own regulations much like a lot of other things as do the cdc the fda and osha um, have guidelines regarding disposal of medical waste so what am I talking about? I went to the doctor's office recently and I looked over because I needed to get my flu shot and I noticed that there's a bin and I noticed the name of a waste disposal company on it that said Sharps and so I was curious. So if you go into the doctor's office, you'll see the bin and um, you'll notice that they put the Sharp in one side and they'll probably throw the syringe depending on what it had like the actual plunger thing in a different place. I was actually 
Also recently talking to someone about who has diabetes about what she has to do with her sharps, and the, act, the answer actually surprised me. Um, I didn't know like if people have to abide by some kind of syringe thing at home if they needed some medical waste provider, and I found out she just told me that individuals don't actually have to abide by medical waste guidelines if you're just an individual in your house. You just have to put it in a kitty litter container or a thick-sided container and throw it in the municipal trash. Hmm. So that made me think about uh, all the individuals in the U.S. and also in our great north state of North Carolina who use sharps every day and how they dispose of them. So I looked up the medical waste guidelines, regulations for North Carolina. And the definition of medical waste it means any solid waste which is generated in the diagnosis, treatment, immunization of human beings or animals in research and testing, but does not include any hazardous waste, radioactive waste, household waste, or substances excluded from the definition of solid waste. So regulated medical waste, and this is important, means blood and body fluids in containers in volumes greater than 20 milliliters, which is really not much, microbiological waste, and pathological waste that have not been treated or those substances excluded from the definition of a solid waste. So I further found out that an individual is in exempted, just like she told me, from medical waste rules and are just advised to place the sharps in the hard side of bin, which is what she told me. So that part was true. And if you or your medical office has medical waste um, picked up and taken care of a by a facility, and this is really common. Um, the medical waste has to be in marked bags and in marked containers and stored in a way that no animals like bears or raccoons, <laughs> no ox noxious odors can escape, no one wants to smell that, and no one but authorized personnel can get to it. So there's not gonna be any kind of fight club scenario where Tyler Durden is gonna come pick up the fat from the liposuction <laughs> and make soap out of it. So it has to be locked up. Tyler Durden can't get to it. The bags are labeled and stored until the medical waste um, can be picked up by the disposal company um, and they have dedicated bins and they have like a, a whole system that they have to abide by. So that is small offices. Large hospitals have waste man often have waste management on site. And I know this because a friend of mine um, from high school actually was a medical waste tech at a large hospital. Hmm. He would tell me stories of medical waste and used medical tools that he had to autoclave. So they had this giant autoclave, and he I think they had a couple. And he would actually have to put stuff in the giant autoclave to get the contaminants off of it before they were disposed of in municipal light waste. It sounded like a pretty gruesome job. This guy wanted to be um, an undertaker, so he was different. <laughs> um, but he had a pretty interesting job. Uh, one time he dropped someone's ear on the floor, not really, re <laughs> not really realizing that it was wrapped in the gauze that he was holding, so it was just someone's ear was on the floor. Oh, by the way, I dropped someone's ear. Um, and he would, obviously, he knew all where to put all this stuff. So, 
It was interesting talking to him just from his gruesome stories, but that's how I know that that particular hospital, like other large hospitals, have um, waste disposal on site, which means they ha generally have giant autoclaves. They might have incinerators. Um, sometimes they don't, and they just contract with someone that takes it to a large incinerator. However, like I said, the small places like your doctor's office, your dentist's office, a small regional hospital, Shotzi the Dog's Vet, and other small facilities actually have to collect the sharps, put them in designated trash, and pay a biohazardous waste disposal company that picks up the label, labeled bags, like I said. They have to be labeled correctly. They have to be divided correctly. Um, so generally, the different medical waste are segregated into specific bins. There's a very good reason for this. Non, there's a non-hazardous pharmaceutical waste, the sharps and contaminated, hazardous waste, and trace chemotherapy. These are all important designations because they all have to be disposed of differently. The sharps and contaminated items are autoclaved and landfilled, so they're put in giant autoclaves, it looked like from when I was watching a video, is generally they shred them, they put the, them in these giant shredders, and then they autoclave them and then they're landfilled. Can you describe an autoclave for us? Yeah, an autoclave, uh, they're interesting. So an autoclave is basically this giant steel bin, steel drum. They will put a giant bin of stuff into it and it uses steam, water, and pressure like an espresso machine. And they'll close the door and the steam and the high pressure, they will run for a certain amount of time. And then after a certain amount of time, they have determined that it is no longer contaminated. All the items have been, they're, they're not infectious anymore, so they can now be put in the landfill uh, so that they do not enter the waste stream. The, the water cycle, which is the main reason behind this. Cool, thanks. Yeah. Uh, hazardous pathological waste are incinerated. So pathological waste is an interesting, so that would be anything like with infectious waste on it, like band-aid, not band-aids, but like bandages, like completely full of blood, any kind of blood spills, anything that's like really bloody or has a lot of bodily fluids on it. Anything that, you know, like the ear, yeah, the ear is pathological waste. It's a bodily fluid or a body part. Non-hazardous pharmaceutical waste. Um, so non-hazardous pharmaceutical waste is actually just pills, medicine, any kind of medicine that it is not chemotherapy because chemotherapy is different. So any kind of pills that like might be like endogenous disruptors of your hormones, anything that could enter the waste stream, enter the water cycle, and cause havoc in nature, serotonin inhibitors, uh, any, anything like that. And so those are incinerated. And then trace chemotherapy is toxic, obviously. We do chemotherapy to kill cancer. It can be radioactive or it can be extremely toxic. So that also has to be incinerated. And that includes any of the, the IV bags or the IV tubing that might even just have a little trace amount of it. So it's been transported off-site, it's been separated, it has been shredded probably in the giant shredders, and it's either been incinerated or marked hazardous and autoclaved, depending. But the EPA also has regulations on the facilities that incinerate it 
that they have to conform to the Clean Air Act. So the EPA is also involved in this. I watched an uh, interesting video by Ecomed on how they incinerate waste, and it looks to be common practice to take the bins full of waste that have been autoclaved and put into the giant shredder, like I said, um, and then I described the autoclave. And so it looks like most of it is either incinerated or autoclaved and then put into mun municipal waste, generally so that it just, you know, is, doesn't enter the water cycle, is, is safe for everyone to be around, does not start to enter the Jersey Shore. <laughs> and so StereoCycle video that I watched, which is actually interested, interesting, estimated there is 5.9 million tons of medical waste from hospitals per year. That's actually not a lot. I think it was something like a percent, some 1% of the actual waste in the United States. So it's actually a very small fraction. But the reason we had um, syringe tied in 1988, there's a very good reason for this. Well, it's not a good reason, but it is a reason. The medical waste was found to have been from Fresh Kills landfill in New York, Staten Island, um, which has been closed now. But it was also a salt marsh. And when they started to do, the, when they opened the dump, the landfill, it had actually destroyed the wetlands. Oh. So now we know, just from Hurricane Katrina, that destroying wetlands actually causes flooding to be worse. So that is a big reason why the medical waste escaped, besides the fact that it wasn't disposed of properly. And it escaped and got into the water because there had been flooding and the wetlands, because it is a major part of the natural environment, um, did not stop the flooding and it just escaped. So Fresh Kills has been closed. It's been capped since 2001. It is unlikely to ever happen again, at least there. But that is why we have such strict regulations in most states about medical waste and where they go. I didn't know any of that, and I'm really glad I do now. Can you imagine a worse place to put a landfill than a salt marsh? I think the genius who thought of that really deserves an Ig Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking an elementary school playground, but even then it would be more sequestered from the kids than if it was in a salt marsh near, their, near where they lived. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bad idea. I would say when we knew better, we do better, but... We didn't, I, I'm pretty, I don't know if we knew better then. It was opened in 1948, I believe. We might not have known better in yeah. 1948. I think the Army Corps of Engineers just went banana gram <laughs> building stuff in 1948. Yeah, so. that's true. But, you know, they destroyed a whole ecosystem that was a major reason that flooding it stopped flooding, but we yeah, they didn't now. have to operate it from 1948 to 2001. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. <laughs> <laughs> they could have stopped anywhere in there, and put it. Heck, close an elementary school, put it on the playground. It's safer. <laughs> so get your tetanus shots. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
right. That's where the Empire of Brazil went, and that's where medical waste goes. Yep. Where does it podcast.com? That's where we go. <laughs> and we want to learn about our podcast. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.